Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was delivered on January 11, 2015, on the basis of Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. So here we are already, January 11th, 10 full days of 2015 already in the books. Which means that there are just two types of people left there, left out there in the world. There are those who have already given up trying to become the person that they want to be in 2015. And there are those who very soon will. Which one are you? How are those New Year's resolutions coming? Are they all still intact? New Year's resolutions are kind of funny things, aren't they? The idea that with one magical flip of the page on the calendar, we suddenly find all of this motivation to do things that we didn't have just 24 hours before. Kind of silly, isn't it? And of course, we know that it's silly. And every year we talk about how silly it is. And yet every year we make New Year's resolutions, even if we don't want to tell anyone else what they are. But here's what I think New Year's resolutions illustrate about us as human beings. It's that deep down all of us look in the mirror and see a person that we know isn't the person we're supposed to be. We all look at our lives and find things that we want to fix, things that we want to improve, things that we want to change, and we have this unquenchable desire for that not to be the case. To look at our lives and be confident that everything is exactly the way that it should be. To get to the point where, even if New Year's resolutions worked, we wouldn't even need them. There's just one big problem, though. No one, and I mean no one, agrees on how to get there. I had the chance this year, I had the opportunity to read a couple of articles that talked about some New Year's resolutions that we should all be making in 2015. And there were several articles that talked about how one resolution that we should all have if we need it is to put down our phones, to stop the emails, to stop the Facebook, to stop the texting, to stop the games, and to just live life in the present. And yet there were a whole other series of articles that also talked about how if you really want to guarantee that all of your New Year's resolutions for 2015 are kept, here are five new handy-dandy apps that you can download for your phone. The problem is even bigger than that, unfortunately. You walk down any self-help aisle at any bookstore, you turn on any of a number of daytime talk shows, and you're going to find all kinds of advice on how to improve yourself The only problem is that all of that advice varies greatly, and in fact, some of it is even contradictory. So how do we get there? Well, believe it or not, everyone does agree about one thing. And it's that the advice that I'm going to give you today is bad advice. Of course, it's not just my advice, and it's not really even from me, These are God's words, and this is the message that God has for us through the pen of the Apostle Paul, written in this letter to Titus, where God's message is very simple. When it comes to looking in the mirror and seeing the person that you want to see and being the person that you want to be, 
God's simple message is seek the approval of others. Try Googling that when you get home today. Seeking others' approval. Every single article that shows up in the search results will have the same basic goal, the goal of getting you to stop. To stop seeking the approval of others. To stop listening to what other people say. To get rid of all of the haters in your life. That if people are critical or judgmental, that you should just kick them to the curb. And the only one that you should be trying to impress is yourself. I have to ask, have you ever tried that before? How did it go? You see, there's this old saying that I think has a lot of truth to it. That you are your own worst critic. Does anyone have higher expectations for you than you have for yourself? Does anyone know your shortcomings more than you know them yourself? came across an interesting article that was entitled, Today I Took a Picture of My Own Worst Critic. And of course, in true 21st century fashion, that picture was a selfie. A picture that the author posted of himself. And in that article, the author made an interesting point. He said, if other people would talk to us the way that we talk to ourselves, there's no way we would be friends with people like that. There's no way we would want to sit down and have coffee with people like that. If people like that were stranded on the side of the road in below zero weather, we would just go driving right by with a big smile on our faces. You can silence the voice of others as much as you want, but to silence the voice of your own self-criticism, have you ever tried that? And again, how did it go? So we're told to stop. We're told to to find ways to be more accepting of ourselves. We're told to try to find ways to forgive our shortcomings. In fact, another article actually suggested starting a self-appreciation journal, daily writing down all of the things about yourself that you like the most. Even if that worked, and I can guarantee you that it won't, but even if it did, finally, here's the bottom line, it wouldn't matter. Because far more than the opinion that we have of ourselves from others, far more than the opinion we have of ourselves from ourselves, there's one opinion that matters more than any other. And did you hear what he said about you? Listen to what Paul said. At one time, you too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Kind of stings, doesn't it? You see, there really is just one opinion that matters. And as high as our expectations might be of ourselves, God's standards are even higher. And as much as we might be aware of our own shortcomings, God knows those shortcomings even better than we know them ourselves. You see, when we make these New Year's resolutions, we kind of show that part of us thinks that if we can just fix this and that and maybe one other thing, then we'll be all set. But God in his word tells us very clearly that it's not just a couple of things that need to improve. Our whole nature is corrupt. We are corrupt through and through to our very core. 
Sin is not just something we do. God says sin is something we are enslaved to. Sin is something that we are powerless against by nature. Evil things are not just things that we do occasionally here and there, but as God says here, things that we, we live in. This is our way of life. This is who we are. And so that's the first reason why we must seek the approval of others. Because finally, there's only one opinion that matters. There's only one set of standards that counts. And there's only one person's examination of the way that we've lived that means anything at all. The reason we must seek the opinion of others is because it is impossible for you to be your own worst critic. God already is. And that makes truly remarkable what happened that day on the banks of the Jordan River. started out like any other day. The same thing that had happened for days and weeks on end was happening again. Crowds of people were coming to be baptized by John one after the other. And then all of a sudden, as John came up out of the water with this as-of-yet unknown man from Nazareth named Jesus, God the Father Almighty split open the heavens. He sent down His Holy Spirit in the form of a dove and with a booming voice and beaming pride said about this Jesus, Here is my Son whom I love, and with Him I am well pleased. Now if ever there was anyone who could have followed the advice of the world, who could have said, I'm not going to listen to what other people say, I'm only concerned about my own opinion and the way I feel about myself, it would have been Jesus. And yet time and time again, He didn't go around tooting his own horn or telling people how great he was. Instead, he relied on the testimony of others. He relied on what his Father in heaven said about him. Here at his baptism, God spoke loud and clear. The very same thing happened at his transfiguration, we'll see in a couple of weeks. And finally, the ultimate stamp of approval on everything that Jesus did, everything that he said, his life and his death was placed when God raised him from the dead on the third day. And friends, here's the great news about all of that. Jesus wasn't doing those things for himself. No, Jesus was doing those things as the stand-in, as the fill-in, as the representative, and as the substitute of the entire human race. He was doing those things for us. In these few short verses, Paul describes how God feels about us. God's attitude toward us, in spite of everything that we've done, God says that, or Paul says that God shows us kindness, love, mercy, and grace. And in that undeserved attitude toward us, God sent his son Jesus to live and to die for us, and on that life and on that death, God the Father spoke his full approval. With him I am well pleased. But you know, here's the crazy thing. Even though Jesus lived and even though Jesus died for the entire world and for absolutely everyone, 
at times you and I can still find a way to ask, does that really mean me? Maybe there's some way that I kind of slipped through the cracks. Or maybe I might be the one exception to this. Sure, what Jesus did is good enough for everyone else, but, but with what I've done, maybe not me. But the truly amazing thing is that God the Father knows that that's how we think. He knows that that's how our hearts act, how our hearts feel, how our hearts doubt. And so he decided to do something about it. Not only did he speak his approval over Jesus' life and death, which again were for everyone, and not only did he say it in a way that everyone could hear, God also established a way to speak that very same full approval for just you. And in a way that just you could hear it. And we call it baptism. You see, there was a reason that God the Father decided to speak this approval when Jesus got baptized. When Jesus was baptized, he was connecting himself to every sinner on earth. He was standing in the very same line that every sinner on earth must stand in. Jesus was identifying himself as one of us. And as a result, every single sinner who still stands in that line, who comes to this simple and powerful act called baptism, every single sinner is connected to Jesus and enjoys the very same approval from our Heavenly Father. Did you hear what Paul said about what God does for us through baptism? He says that through baptism we have been born Again, Remember again that what's wrong with us is not just one or two things that need to be fixed. Our whole nature is corrupt to the very core. Well, at baptism, that sinful nature was drowned. That sinful nature was put to death. And a new nature, holy and perfect in God's sight, was brought to life. Paul says that through baptism we have been justified. Being justified is what happens when the one whose opinion matters most, the one who sets the highest standards and sees every little fault, declares a person to be exactly as he should be. That's what you have, that verdict, that declaration from God through baptism. Paul says that through baptism, God poured his Holy Spirit into our hearts. So the very same signal that God used at Jesus' baptism to identify Jesus as his son, God also uses at our baptism to identify us as children of God. And finally, in baptism, Paul says, God makes us heirs of eternal life. What do you have to mean to someone to be written into their will? Maybe you've had it happen to you where you received an inheritance from some sort of distant relative and you sort of said to yourself, wow, I I didn't know that I meant that much. I didn't know that so-and-so thought that much of me. You mean that much to God and you, God thinks so highly of you for Jesus' sake that he gives you a full share of his inheritance of eternal life. All of that is yours through baptism. So fast forward quickly 200 355 days from now, when it's December 31st yet again, 
And when we do inventory and evaluate our lives yet again, and when we find things about our lives that we're not happy with yet again, don't solve that fundamental human need by trying to fix a number of things about yourself. Don't solve that problem by trying to ignore the criticism of others. Don't solve that problem by starting a self-appreciation journal. Solve that problem by remembering that you are baptized. That in your baptism, God connected you to Jesus and God has given you the very same full approval that he gave to Jesus. This is my son. This is my daughter. With you, I am well pleased. February 21st, 1982. That's my day. You owe it to yourself to know the day, to think about the day, to remember the day often. The day that guarantees that you must and that you can always seek the approval of others. Because not only is it impossible for you to be your biggest critic, because God already is, it is impossible for you to be your own biggest fan. Because in Christ Jesus, God already is. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.